and today is Mother's Day. And now let me ask you, ladies, moms, what would you rather have as a Mother's Day present? Would you like your typical cards, flowers, go out to eat? Or would you rather, if this, if these are the two options, typical Mother's Day presents, or to see that your kids are saved and walking with the Lord. And I think any mother who's saved is going to say, of course I would rather have all my kids walking with the Lord, saved, um, I, you know, keep the flowers, I will take their salvation and walking with the Lord. Okay. Now, um, disturbing statistic. And depending at which statistics you look at, anywhere from 50 to 90%, that's where I've, I've heard the range, 50 to 90% of kids, once they are out of high school, once they are out of youth group, fall away from the church. Right? That, that is very disturbing. Now, according to my theology... They didn't fall away from the faith. They never had it. They were never truly saved. They were never grounded in the faith. So here's what I want to do. My Mother's Day present is to help parents, not just mothers, but moms and dads, and the teachers uh, here at Valley Brook. Maybe you teach... Uh, in D2, or you teach uh, the toddlers, or you teach youth. Um, I want to help all of us who are parents or teachers or grandparents to be better teachers of the Word, to help ground our kids in the Word of God. Now, this message actually serves two purposes. One, it's a great Mother's Day present, and it's hopefully helpful to the parents, Okay, that's one purpose. Another purpose, this really is my philosophy of teaching the Bible. Uh, so this is a, a great first lesson in the Valley Brook 101 class. Because really what I'm going to teach you here applies to preaching from the pulpit. It applies to teaching in Sunday school. It, it applies to small group teachers and leaders. It applies to every classroom. Uh, It's a big picture of how to teach the Bible. Okay? So, um, let and and I'm going to break it into two parts. First, I'm going to give you some foundations, some four foundations of of, uh, underlying theology, and you need this to get the big picture. And then the second part, I want to try and illustrate how, do, how I would teach some of these lessons to kids. So we're, you get to be kids, and I will teach you some kids' lessons. Okay? So, first thing. Four foundational teaching truths that undergird uh, how I think about teaching the Bible. All right? Number one. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You go, that is brilliant. Where did you come up with that? Well, Paul said in Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
for it, what? The gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, I think virtually every Christian would nod their head and go, yeah, well, of course the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So my question would be, why don't we uphold the gospel more? You say, what do you mean? Well, in, in so many churches, the, the, the presenting thing is some felt-need sermon, and then we sneak the gospel in at the end. Or even in teaching kids. Learn about David, learn about Noah and the ark, uh, learn about crossing the Red Sea. All these true, historical, biblical messages but disconnected from the gospel. Guess what? That doesn't save anybody. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Do we know it? Do we love it? And do we present it? You say, now, when you say gospel, what are you talking about? Because uh, sometimes when you talk to people, you say, do you know the gospel? And they go, which one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Well, that is a, uh, a valid use of the term because those are the four Gospels. But the Gospel itself, the good news, and, and here's, how, here's how I like to, to think of things. I could give you a list of 25 things to make sure you include in the Gospel presentation, but I think a, a, a much simpler way to go about it is to go for the bullseye. Start in the center and then move out and explain it if you need to. So, I've always said the gospel can be summed up with one word. Substitute. Jesus is our substitute. Well, in what way is he our substitute? Well, um, he died in our place on the cross to pay for our sin. So now that brings in the doctrine of man, that we are sinners, that we are separated from a holy God. Well, 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 why does he need to die? Because God is not only holy, he's just. He demands a just payment. But he's also loving. So now you start bringing in all the attributes of God. He's holy, he's loving, and he sends Jesus who's part of the Trinity. So now we can get into that if you need to. Okay, But you start with the concept that God so loved the world that He sent His Son as a substitute. And He he substituted for us in two ways. One, He paid the price for our sin. That's what He was doing on the cross. Two, He lived a perfect life. So how do we get what Jesus did for us? By faith. You trust in Him, and when you trust in Him, your sin gets paid for on the cross. And His perfect life is given to you. So then you can get into all the details there. But start with the concept of Jesus as our substitute, and you can expand outward. Okay. So the, the first truth, foundational truth, is the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now, 
Second one, and this may confuse some of you, the gospel is the power of God for sanctification. So if salvation is we were lost, we were going to hell, we, were, uh, we had our backs turned to God, salvation is him changing our heart, we turn to him, we are now going to heaven. Okay? Sanctification, then, is the rest of your Christian life. Living out the Christian life. And as you live out the Christian life, you're going to grow in your knowledge of God and your knowledge of the Bible. And hopefully, you're going to become more and more like Christ. So that's what sanctification is. It's the living out of the Christian life. Now, a lot of people would say, yes, I agree that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for sanctification? What do you mean? Because a lot of people uh, think that you get in by believing in Jesus, by believing in the gospel. But now that we're in, now that we got that cross thing over with, let's get on with, with, the, with more important things. Let's get on with discipleship. Let's get on with all the rules of how to live the Christian life. Okay, That's disaster. I was uh, asked to, to go out to Northern and speak uh, at, a, at a student group. And I don't even remember what I was saying, but a kid was walking by, and uh, he came in, and he listened. And you can tell, I mean, sometimes as a preacher, you can tell people who are, they're not tuned in, they're counting the tiles. How many tiles are there, anybody know? Okay. They're texting, they're checking their... And then there are those where God has got them, the Holy Spirit's got them uh, focused in. And this kid was walking by the hall, and it's like, tractor beam goes into the room, sits down, he listens. He comes up to me afterwards, he goes, "Ah, I've got this problem. When uh, I was raised as a Christian and I know the Bible, I could be in seminary, but the more I study the Bible, I get real legalistic. And it becomes oppressive to me, so I stop reading it, and then I fall into sin. So then I start reading it again, and then I get all legalistic again. What can I do? And I I said, you need to immerse yourself in the gospel. And he, he looked at me. He goes, oh, no, I'm already saved. I said, no, you need to immerse yourself in the gospel. And, and he said, well, what about discipleship? What about discipleship? And, and a typical view that many Christians have, you get saved by grace and at the cross, but now that you're in, take up your cross and be willing to die. Live by the Sermon on the Mount. It's, in, in fact, here's, here's an illustration. You get saved at the cross. You're saved by grace, amazing grace. Prodigal son returns, grace, grace, grace. And now that you're saved, let's get on with deeper things. More important things like the thou shalls and the thou shall nots, thou shall and thou shall not, and the, the rules. And, and not only do we have the moral rules, but now within evangelicalism, there's the whole, here's the 20 principles of how to have a better family and how to 
balance your checkbook. And I mean, everything, the rules get dumped on top of you. And then here's what happens. The focus is so much on this that the cross begins to fade. And then eventually it disappears. And I think if we were honest, many people would say, this is the Christian life now. That's what disciples do. Learn all the principles and the rules and, and live it out. Okay. Um, it's a disaster. You can't do it. You will fail. You will be burdened. You will hate the Bible. You will hate church because it's just another burden in your sack that you're carrying around. Okay. When when I say gospel, okay, there's there's gospel, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Long, John Gospels. There's gospel in the sense of what I explained before, Jesus as our substitute. There's the mechanics of the gospel. He died, he rose from the grave. But let me give you another concept of the gospel. The term gospel is simply shorthand for the good news that when you trust in Jesus, you are loved as a child of God, not because of your performance, but because of Christ's performance. Gospel means grace. It means you walk as a child of God under the cloud of what Christ has done for you and His love for you is not based on your performance. Okay, As uh, John Bunyan, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he was really struggling with whether he was saved or not. And he remembers the moment when he got it. He was walking through a field and, and he was struggling with whether he was saved or not. And boom, it hit him. My righteousness is in heaven. My righteousness is not based on my performance. It's based on Christ. In fact, here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I'm loved because of Christ. Not because of my performance. Now, right now some people are getting nervous. They're going, but won't that lead to people taking grace for granted and sinning even more? Does this sound familiar? Like Romans 6? They were, Paul was talking about salvation by grace and he raises that objection. Won't people say with your gospel of grace that people will sin even more? And his, his response is, God forbid. No, it's impossible. Grace motivates you to obey, not to rebel. In fact, look at this verse. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All right? that, yes, there's the salvation but then what else does grace do? 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace, the cross, not only saves us, but it sanctifies us. Let me show you a, uh, an illustration that I got out of a, a book by Jack Klempenhauer. Actually, Ashley uh, found this book, and she said, check this out. And I'm like, that's the book I've wanted to write. Right? Yeah? Um, so if you're a parent or a teacher, um, you might want to get that. Yeah. Now, I don't, I, I, when we get to how he, he presents the gospel, I think he forces some things every now and then. No book is perfect, but you get the idea here. Okay? Now, here's an illustration of, uh, in the book. He says, here's what happens as a new believer. The flashlight of God's word shines, and you start to see God's holiness, and you start to see your sinfulness, and you go, oh no, what must I do to be saved? How, who will deliver me? And, and you hear about the cross, and you trust in Christ, and you're a new believer. Okay? Now, here's what happens over time. You're a new believer, so what do you do? You go to church, and you learn the Bible, and you hear sermons, and you start to see that God's holiness is much greater than you originally thought, and you see your own sinfulness is much greater than you originally thought. So as you're learning, now you've already gotten saved at the cross. The cross is the same size, but now there's a gap between uh, the cross and, and God's holiness and your sinfulness. Now, here's what most of us do. We've got to fill that gap, and we do it through rationalization. We lower God's standards. He's not that holy. And we hide our sin or we, we think that we're actually living up to God's standard. Okay, Because the cross remains the same size. We got saved back at the cross. Now we're on our own. And basically we're becoming hypocrites. Let's lower God's standard. Let's raise our own evaluation of our, ourselves. And what is the solution? The cross fills the gap because you don't leave it behind. Right? The cross is the power of God for salvation and for sanctification. So you are always bringing the gospel into, yes, messages on salvation and, yes, messages on sanctification. A lot of people go, that is a revolutionary concept. I thought you got saved at the cross and now we got it out on our own. No. Grace and the cross is the power of God for sanctification. Now, let me, let me move on. Third foundation, the gospel is the theme of the whole Bible. Some people think, well, you know, there's all those Old Testament stories. They're really good. A lot of good moral lessons. Get on the ark. Don't miss the ark. Right? There are all those sacrifices. Lots of barbecuing going on in the Old Testament. Kings, there's prophets. There's all kind of cool things. And then Jesus is born, and he dies on the cross and pays for our sins. And how it all fits together, I don't know. Do you remember when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he's walking down the road, and he meets two disciples. They don't know it's him. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets, that's the rest of the Bible. Okay. So beginning with Moses and then the rest, rest of the Bible, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And I don't think that means there was 
maybe two or three little prophecies pointing to him. I think what this is saying is the theme of the entire Bible is Christ and the gospel. Okay? Um, the Apostle Paul saw the cross and the gospel as the center of everything. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now you say, but wait a minute, I've read 1 Corinthians. There's more in there than just the cross. There's stuff about marriage and divorce and singleness and being a weaker brother and a stronger brother and giving. and uh, There's all kind of stuff in there, but... Everything in Corinthians either points to the cross or flows from the cross. Okay? Paul was all about the cross. Okay? So then, number four, therefore, connect every lesson to the gospel. You, you want to be a, a, a faithful parent who faithfully teaches the scriptures? You want to be a great Sunday school teacher? Connect it all to the gospel. Now, uh, amazingly, this is a controversial concept amongst preachers and teachers because they say wait a minute is that legit what if the gospel and christ is not in the passage what if i can't find him on the ark what if i can't find him when crossing the red sea what if i can't find him just in an incident in the life of david it's illegitimate to force the gospel on every passage, many people would say. Well, um, let's put it this way. Because whatever passage you are studying is in the canon of Holy Scripture, and the climax of the canon is Christ and Him crucified and resurrected, and because the Holy Spirit didn't just slap a bunch of random stories together, it all makes sense and leads to the gospel. Okay. Once the books of the Old Testament were combined with the books of the New Testament, and we didn't think that's an accident. We think that's a, a purposeful plan of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The Old Testament now becomes part of the whole canon of God that finds its connection to the cross. And you can't just read the stories on their own. Let me give you an illustration. Have any of you seen... Uh, oh, by the way, Spurgeon says this. Uh, I take my text and make, it, make a beeline to the cross. So if Spurgeon did that, I think I'm in pretty good, good category. There's a movie by, uh, called The Sixth Sense, one of those M. Night Shyamalan movies where you're watching it, and then at the end, boom! It's like, you didn't see that coming. Um, so in this movie, this is with the little kid who, who uh, his famous line is, I see dead people. Um, and Bruce Willis is a counselor. And he's talking to this kid throughout the movie, and he's in various scenes and so forth. And 
at the end of the movie, boom, you realize Bruce Willis is dead. He's a ghost. And then your mind does one of these, wait a minute, what about this? Oh, what about this? And you have to like rethink the whole movie. Now you can never watch the movie the same way the second time. Right? The conclusion changes how you watch it the second time. Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. The gospel is part of the whole story and you cannot just separate out the stories apart from the conclusion. Now you say, I agree. How do you do it though? Now, I would say uh, it takes time to figure this out. You need to learn some things about how to interpret the Bible. But it's not that hard. And I would say you can overdo this. You can force it. You can, fi- you can find Christ. I, I, in fact, let me put it this way. I am not saying that Jesus and him crucified is hidden in each passage. I am saying that each passage can legitimately lead to Christ and him crucified. Okay? If you say Christ is hidden in each passage, you're going to find symbolisms that, oh, here's a piece of wood. It must be the cross. Right? Oh, tree, trees have thorns, the thorn of Christ. Now, don't, don't force it that way. Well, how do you do this? Well, here's where we want to get practical. Three ways to take any Bible lesson to the gospel of Christ and him crucified. Okay? Um, three ways you can do this, especially as you're reading the Old Testament. How do you connect it to Christ and him crucified? One way is through typology slash story completion. You know, what do you mean? What's a, what's a type? Well, a type is a person, thing, office, event, or symbol in the Old Testament which foreshadows Christ. So, um, re- remember Isaac on the, on the mountain being sacrificed? That points to Christ being sacrificed on the same mountain. Uh, a, a thing... Um, what about the animal on the altar? What about the altar? What about the tabernacle? What about the ta- These things all point to Christ. An office. There are three offices. Prophet, priest, king. Jesus is the fulfillment, the ultimate prophet, priest, king. Uh, an event. The crossing of the Red Sea. A picture of deliverance and salvation. Right? Uh, a, a symbol. Um, the, the snake that was lifted up on the pole. Jesus in John 3 says, that's a picture of me. Okay? So there's all these things, people, offices that are types that point to Jesus. Now, story completion is kind of a different thing, but kind of a similar thing. But story completion is simply telling how Christ completes the story started in the Old Testament. So uh, a lot of you have seen this little book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if you have little kids, I would get this. Um, not because it's the greatest kid's book ever written, but because it teaches you how to take every story and connect it to Christ. So the story of Isaac, here's how the story ends. Many years later, another son would climb another hill carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That's it. That's how how the story of Isaac ends. It connects it to Jesus. 
So let me uh, attempt to show uh, how to do typology and story completion. Um, now, Caleb and Josh, could you do me a favor and bring that table and put it right here? Okay. Um, so we're going to do the story of David and Goliath. All right. So um, there's Goliath. Kind of looks like Ryan, doesn't it? If you were to grow a little goatee, maybe? Okay. All right, so, thank you guys. Oh, and let's put it, like, right there. All right. So, here's what I would do. Let's say we had uh, vacation Bible school, or what do we call it? Summer Bible Camp Club. Okay. All right, so, 3,000 years ago, God's people, the Israelites, were at war with the Philistines. Israel, good guys. So this is Israel, good guys. Philistines, boo, hiss, bad guys. Okay. Um, it says this, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, so you're up on a mountain, And Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between, the Valley of Elah. We were there, the Valley of Elah. And there came out from the camp a Philistine champion named, what was his name? No, Josh. Josh? Could you be Goliath, please? Okay. All right, so wait, wait, hold on now. So let me, uh, it says this, he was six cubits in a span. Does anybody know what that means? <laughs> He's nine foot nine, nine foot nine. So that's why we have the table here. And could you hop up on the table, Josh, please? All right. So we want to make sure we're accurate and we need nine foot Wow. Nine, right there. So hold that as high as you can. See, wow, that's, uh, you need a helmet. Put that on. Okay. So he's, even with his arm extended, he's not as tall as Goliath. So very good. All right, so Josh, you are Goliath. You ever get a paper cut doing this? Could put an eye out. All right. So then um, his coat, which was made out of metal, weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Anybody have a guess? 125 pounds. Okay. His spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is... 25 pounds, so, Caleb? What I've learned with children's ministry, you need lots of props. This is 25 pounds. That's just, give it a curl. Yeah, good form or no? You should be, right, okay. All right. So, that's just the spear, the spear tip, okay? So, here's what happens. Um, Goliath would come out and say, choose for yourselves 
a man to fight with me. If I win, Israel, you become our slaves. If you're Israel, yeah. If the Philistines, if Israel wins, the Philistines become our slaves. So it's like, let's just have a representative. Huh? See where this is leading? A represent. Let's have a representative go in our place to fight for us. Now, when Saul heard the words of the Philistine and all Israel, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, Brian, could you be Saul, please? Just be Saul. Be afraid. Tremble. Okay. All right. And then I need, um, I need David. I, Isaac, would you be David, please? Thank you. And then come on up here. And I, does anybody have? It, is Alexia? She had a coat on. Where's Alexia? Did she go to children's? Okay. All right. We're gonna forget the coat. All right. So you're David. Meet Goliath. All right, so David is sent by his dad, Jesse, to go to the front lines uh, where his brothers are fighting. And do you know what his dad sent him to do? Bring lunch. Okay. In fact, it says uh, he had grain, bread, and ten cheeses. So you didn't know he was from Wisconsin, but... He was bringing cheeses to the front line. Okay, so, so David shows up and he goes, hey, what's, what's going on here with this dude? He's like scaring you all. And they say, oh, David, he is threatening us and nobody can fight him. And David says, what does David say? I can fight. I'll fight him, yeah. But he says it with much more authority. He says, I'll fight him. Say that. I'll fight him. Okay. Saul says, you're too little. Yeah. And David says, you know what David says? I can do it with the power of God. I can do it with the power of God. Because when I was a shepherd, when bears would attack and lions would attack, I would strangle them with my own little hands. Show them your hands. Okay? So Saul says, here, I'll dress you in my my armor, and he puts his armor on little David, and it's like hanging down to the floor, and that's just not going to work, right? So David says, I'll do it, throws, throws it off, and you remember what he does? What does he get? Um, a, slingshot. a slingshot and some, yeah. some rocks. How many? Seven. Seven, no, five. Hold on, stay right here. Some of you have seen this before. In our version, he had eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't children's ministry fun? Um, who's, got a, who's got a drink? You got a drink? Can I bar- oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Because some of you think these are fake eggs, don't you? Teresa, you're going to kill me. Hold that, David. Some of you think these are fake eggs. No, they're not. (laughs) Yeah. We need a new clicker now. Um. (laughs) 
So, David, you are such a good shot. We're not going to even give you five. We're going to give you three, okay? So, Josh, how are you doing with the, yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> I, forgot. I forgot about that. All right. That's heavy. <laughs> All right, so, David, here's what you're going to do. You, you, uh, it actually says... Um, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Can you say all that? You come with me, you come with, me with, sword with a sword and a spear and a, spear and a, javelin, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. All right. So he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. I would change that <laughs> to a dirty Philistine. Okay. And now... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you get three shots here. Are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. All right, hold. Yeah, hold those in your left. Okay, so here we go. And then Goliath has a sword. How about right here? Okay. Try and hit him in the head. Whoa! <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> Wait, come here, come here, come here, come here. Right there. Oh! And, he, and the giant falls to the ground. And then, wait a minute. Now, most children's storybooks, they leave it this way. You know what it says? He took his sword and chopped his head off. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Big hand for David and Goliath here, okay? Josh, your arms are so massive now. Okay. okay. Now, um, here's the lesson. Well, Teresa, here you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, here's how most uh, Sunday school teachers would, would teach the moral of the story. They would say... We're David, and if you rely on God, he will help you overcome the giants in your life. So whatever sins there are or troubles you have, you, like David, you trust in God, and he will have you overcome the giants in your life. Now, that could be an application of the story, but I'm going to suggest that David and Goliath is a type of Christ. So, what if we take David to be a type of Jesus? Here's how the storybook Bible concludes. Years later, God would raise up another champion like David, actually a great-great-great-great-great-grandson of David's, who would defeat the greatest enemy of all, our sin and separation from God. And now you see it connects to Christ. You see it's about grace. You see it's about His performance, not our performance. In fact, if you wanted to, you could go even further and say this. This champion, Jesus, would defeat sin not by taking someone else's life, 
but by giving his own life on the cross. And I think if you just think it through enough, you can find those connections. Be careful not to overdo it, but they're made all over. So that's, that's typology and story completion. Oh, by the way, if we're not David in this story, who are we? So Saul and the trembling Israelites, right? But our champion takes our place as our substitute and defeats the enemy for us. Now, uh, another way to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament would be through prophecy. Okay? Prophecy are those specific places where the Old Testament tells us who the Messiah will be. So when he comes, we are not in doubt. Now, um, there's a pretty standard list of about 44, 45 prophecies. You can Google it out there, and it's kind of a standard list, but 44 prophecies in the Old Testament. Some say there's as many as a thousand, but I think there are between 40, 45 really solid prophecies that point to Jesus. Now, you may may think in children's ministry, you're not going to deal with prophecy that much, but of those 44, 12 of them deal with the birth of the Messiah, and 20 of them deal with the death and resurrection of the Messiah. So 80% of those 44, you're going to deal with around Christmas time or Easter time. Okay. Now, what is a prophecy? It is a prediction that God makes about the coming of the Messiah that is fulfilled. Okay. Now, one way you can teach this is to say, let's say you're having Bible, Bible time, and the night before you're going to teach on prophecy, you say, hey, tomorrow you have a soccer game. Let's try to predict what the final score will be, who will win and what the exact score will be. And then the next night you compare it, and you'll probably be wrong showing you're human and fallible, but God is not. Now, if you're a magician, you could do it this way, like you could use a deck of cards. You thought these were cigarettes, didn't you? No. Right? Right? These are cards. Okay, so who is um, is there somebody that is new here today that has doesn't really know me? Oh, here we go. Who's this? That's oh, your mom's cousin Barbara. Barbara, where are you from? Oh, really? Well, welcome to Illinois. Okay, do you play cards? You do. Okay, what's your game? <laughs> Garbage. Okay. Oh, seven poker hand. Okay. Well, um, we won't get into that. Do you play dice? No. Okay. All right. So <laughs> now, Barbara, I what if I told you that last night I took a, a card out of this deck and I turned it upside down and put it in the deck, and I'm going to have you, who we've never met, right? You don't have to be so happy about that. You know. <laughs> You're going to name a card, and you're going to make it hard. It's not going to be the Ace of Spades. It's going to be, what is it? The Ten of Hearts, right? We've never met. I didn't pay you a dollar to do this, right? No? Ten of Hearts, okay. So we're going to take the cards out of the box, and there should be one card face down that I put in there the night before, right? 
Barbara from Arkansas. <laughs> what would you think if I turned that card over and that was a ten of hearts? Would that be amazing, Barbara? Yeah? Do they do miracles in your church? No. <laughs> okay. So, so you go, how do you, how do you do that? Go online, you get a, it's called an invisible deck of cards for 10 bucks, and you'll be a, a, amazing. So the, the Bible um, makes all these predictions about the coming of the Messiah, so we know who he is. For example, when uh, Jesus is born, remember the wise men, they're traveling over the desert, and they come to Jerusalem, and they say to King Herod, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, I thought I was the king of the Jews. And um, they go, no, his star has risen, and we were following his star. What do your scriptures say about the place he should be born? And Herod calls, oh, you can hardly see this, but Herod calls the scholars, and they pull out their Bible, and they say, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea for it is written by the prophet, and he quotes Micah 5.2, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So you would tell your kids, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and it says he needed to be born in Bethlehem. Now that's a problem. Why? Because his parents live up here in Nazareth. And Bethlehem's 90 miles south. So how's he going to get born there? Well, Herod calls for a census where you need to go back to the, the town of your great-great-great-great-grandfather and register. And we don't care if you're pregnant. So they get on. We always see him on a donkey. We don't know if they actually rented a donkey or if they walked, Right. But they go all the way down to Bethlehem in the night that Mary delivers. She ends up being in Bethlehem. Now, why is this important? Why is this amazing? Because some people want to say, oh, well, the prophecy thing. Jesus just made all those things happen. He knew uh, certain things, like he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, I believe he did purposely fulfill some things. But how do you arrange where you're going to be born? Especially when your parents live 90 miles away. Okay? So, prophecy, use that. Now, one last thing. Um, law, gospel. Law, gospel. What does that mean? Any law, any moral command of God, whether it's from the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or Paul's letters, can easily lead to the gospel. How? Matthew 5.48 becomes your best friend. You're continually saying that either you're in Christ and you're saved by grace, or you're outside of Christ and on judgment day you will be judged by the law of God and here's the standard. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the law of God, if, uh, if you're talking to kids, if you're not a Christian... You're outside of Christ. The standard is absolute perfection. How you doing? Okay. So uh, I got this from the, the children's book. Let me, let me end with this. Um, this is the report card illustration. So here, let's see. We, oh, 
Are you guys the Philistines? Yes, you're the Philistines. Okay. Um, you can do this with, because they're going to be really bad. Right. We could do it to Israel, who thinks they're pretty good and show that they're bad too. But um, here would be a report card where we're going to grade, uh, and you can actually do this with kids. Some moral things. Sharing, how good do you share, obey your parents. So um, now realize uh, the standard is perfection. It's not just like 80% and above is a B, 90%. No, you need not only an A, but 100%. Okay? So let's see, Robert. When it comes to sharing with Rihanna, how would you grade yourself? What would you give yourself? Five out of ten? Okay. It's an F, my friend. <laughs> That's an F. Okay. Tally. You're a good kid. Do you always obey your parents all the time? No. How would you grade your... I'll ask your mom. Well, no, she's very nice. I know what we'll do. We're going to ask Annika... <laughs> How she would grade Tally. It's a C. We know it's a C. All right. How about telling the truth, Jelly? How are you at telling the truth? She's pretty good, huh? Yeah? Give yourself a grade. A? A minus, okay. All right. Okay. Speaking kind words. Ladies? What would you, how would you give yourself? C. C, okay. All right. Letting others go first. Charlie? Letting well, I, others. I'd say an A because I'm second to last year. So. <laughs> oh, you're right, but. Yeah, that's right. Would that be a 100% or maybe a 97? I'll go 97. 97, okay. I'll go 97. And loving those who hurt you. Um, Sarah? Uh, D. A D. <laughs> wow. You guys are hard on yourselves. Most hypocrites at least put themselves in the B range, right? Okay. So now if you need 100%, really what you got was an F. An F, an F, an F, an F, and an F. There's your report card, and you need to be perfect to get into heaven. Uh-oh. But we've got some good news for you. I happen to have... Wait, what are you guys, the Philistines? Okay. Let's put... P-H-I-L-esteens. Okay. Philistines have miserably failed. Now, Jesus has a report card. And when he was here on earth, guess what? Let's look at his grades. Sharing, A+. Plus. Obeying parents, A+. Plus. Telling the truth, A+. Plus. Speaking kind through, A+. Plus. Letting others go first, A+. Plus. Loving those who hurt him. Remember on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Here's what he is willing to do. 
He is willing to give you his report card. And he is willing to take your bad report card upon himself where he will pay the price, where he paid the price on the cross. Right? When you believe in him, he's willing to make that switch. Now, let me ask this, Tally. If Jesus did this for you, would you want to take advantage of him and sin away, or would you want to try harder? You'd want to try harder, right? Because grace is a much stronger motivator than law. In fact, let me end with this. That's a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge being built. And um, there was a period of time where the progress was really, really slow because guys were falling off and dying. So they wanted to build the bridge, but they were terrified and they were paralyzed. So you know what they did? They came up with a net. Progress never stopped because the net gave them security. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for sanctification. The gospel is the theme of the entire Bible. Let's connect the Bible, every lesson to the gospel. Worship team, come on up. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for moms and dads who you have appointed to teach your word. Thank you for the teachers in this church. But thank you most of all for the gospel. Thank you for dying in our place. Not just so we can get into heaven, but so we can confidently take risks and obey with abandon because the price is already paid. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.